Chapter 4 How a good man, but an unsaved man, became a saved man and a child of God. Send to Joppa and fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words, whereby thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. Acts chapter 11, verses 13-14 through 14. In the record of the incident from this text, we are told that Cornelius, a captain in the Roman army, and a remarkably good man in many ways, was not yet a saved man. He was told to send to Joppa for Peter the Apostle. Peter would speak words to him that through hearing, believing, and acting upon, he would be saved. The life of Cornelius was already a most exemplary life in many respects, and he was a most candid, sincere, honest, and earnest seeker after the truth. Nevertheless, our text clearly teaches us he was not yet saved, although he was soon going to be saved. To my mind, the story of the salvation of this man Cornelius is one of the most interesting and instructive contained in the whole Bible, not merely because he was the first Gentile convert to Christianity, but also because of what he himself was. The Character of Cornelius Let's look closely at the character and conduct of this man Cornelius. The inspired record declares that he was a devout man, and one that feared God, Acts chapter 10, verse 2. He was a man who lived as in the sight of God with a reverential regard for God's will and God's law. It is evident from the whole story that his devotion was genuine, for it affected his whole household. We are told that not only did he fear God, but that he also feared God with all his house. Furthermore, the soldiers under him and his near friends also were affected by the genuineness of his pious regard for the deity. Acts chapter 10, verse 2, verse 7, and verse 24. It certainly speaks well for a man's devotion when his whole family participates in it, and when those who serve under him share in it. I know few religious people whose families take much stock in their religion and whose employees consider it at all. But so genuine was the regard for God of Cornelius that his whole family shared in it, and even his soldiers were affected by it. Cornelius was not in a position that encouraged religious piety. Many have told me that it is impossible to be truly religious in our own army, but it was certainly very difficult in the old Roman army. But it was in this place of extreme difficulty that we see Cornelius maintaining his devotion at a very high level. Truly, there is no position in life where it is impossible to serve God. Someone, George C. Grubb, has said, Have you never noticed that God's most brilliant saints have been placed in positions of peculiar difficulty? And he cites as illustrations of this the case of Joseph in the awful court of Pharaoh, and Daniel in the depraved court of Nebuchadnezzar. He might have added Elijah in the vile court of Ahab, and John the Baptist in the licentious and bloody court of Herod, and many others. No, my friend, whoever you may be who is making the excuse, I cannot serve God in my position, that is not true. If you cannot serve God in any other way in that position, you can serve Him by giving up your position. But Cornelius was not only a devout man toward God, he was also righteous toward men. This we are told in Acts chapter 10, verse 22. This was the testimony regarding him by those who went to Peter. 
I am sorry to say that devoutness toward God is not always accompanied by righteousness toward men. Of course, a faith in God and love for God that does not lead to honesty in dealing with men and love toward men is not an intelligent and genuine faith. But there is much of that sort of faith in God in the world today. There is much that passes for devotion that is not accompanied by righteousness in private, domestic, business, and political life. I have known men of most demonstrative devotedness who were utterly unreliable in business. Now, I do not believe these men are all conscious hypocrites, but they certainly have a devotedness which is of no value in the sight of God. But Cornelius was a man who was righteous toward men as well as devout toward God. That is a most happy combination. I wish we had more men of that type here in Los Angeles. In the third place, Cornelius was an exceptionally and notably generous man. God's own record concerning him is that he gave much alms to the people. Acts chapter 10 verse 2. So notable was the generosity of Cornelius's gifts to the poor that God took notice of them and kept a record of them. He even went so far as to send an angel down to say to Cornelius, "Thine alms are gone up for a memorial before God." Acts chapter 10 verse 4. That is to say, they had gone up to be remembered by God. If the only memorial that some professing Christians have tonight to get into heaven are your alms to the poor, I am afraid that it will be of such small dimensions that you will have a hard time finding it when you get there. All that a good many people give to the poor is their cast-off clothing that they would not wear any more anyhow. Not so with Cornelius, for he gave much alms to the people. But even this is not all. Cornelius was a man of prayer. We are told that he prayed to God always, Acts chapter 10, verse 2. Though he was not a Jew by birth, he had become convinced of the truth of the Jewish religion and observed the regular Jewish hours of prayer. We find him praying about the ninth hour of the day, which was three o'clock in the afternoon, the Jewish hour of afternoon sacrifice and prayer. And furthermore, as already noted, we are told that he prayed to God always. He was a man who was constantly in prayer to God. He no longer worshipped or prayed to Jupiter or Juno or Venus or any of the false gods of the religion in which he was born and brought up, but to the only true God. He was a man who was constantly in prayer to God. Remember, Cornelius was not yet a Christian. But what an example he sets in this matter of prayer to many who profess to believe in Christ Jesus today. I wonder how much time the average Christian in this audience tonight, Protestant or Roman Catholic, spends in prayer daily. About the only time some Roman Catholics pray is when the priest appoints them so many paternosters or Ave Marias as a penance. About the only praying a good many Protestants do is four or five minutes at bedtime. But this captain in the Roman army, just emerging from the darkness of heathenism, was a man of constant prayer, and his prayers as well as his alms had gone up as a memorial before God. Acts chapter 10 verse 4. In addition to all these things, Cornelius was an eager seeker after more light. When he heard that in another city there was a man who had more truth than he had, he immediately sent for him. Acts chapter 10, verses 7 through 8 and verse 33. And in addition to that, he called together his kinsmen and his near friends to hear this new truth. 
Acts chapter 10 verse 24. All the truth that there was, he wanted for himself, and not only for himself, but for his friends also, and he wished it at once. How unlike Cornelius are many today who call themselves honest seekers after truth, but studiously avoid those who are likely to give them the truth. And if they happen to meet them, they dodge and quibble and resort to all sorts of distractions to escape from letting the light into their hearts. Many a man today calls himself a truth seeker, but goes and listens to some palpable pedophagger, unethical lawyer such as Colonel Ingersoll. Cornelius was not that kind of truth seeker, but was an honest and genuine one who really wanted to know the truth. He was ready to immediately obey it when he found it. Cornelius was not yet a Christian, but he was not of that type of non-Christians who are ready to listen to all sorts of disingenuous reasonings and foolish imaginations that seem to discredit Christianity. He was indeed a sincere seeker after the truth. At the very time that directions came to him from God to send to Joppa for Simon Peter, who would tell him the saving truth, he was in prayer for more light. That is evident from Acts chapter 10 verses 31 through 32, where we read that the angel said to him, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Send therefore to Joppa, and call unto thee Simon, whose surname is Peter. So it is evident that the prayer he was offering and that was heard was a prayer for light, a prayer for the truth. Every honest seeker after light will pray for it. I would like to ask any skeptic present here tonight, have you ever honestly asked God to show you the light? Have you ever honestly asked God to show you if Jesus Christ was his Son or not? Have you promised him that if he would show you that Jesus was the Son of God, you would accept him as your Savior and confess him as such before the world? Cornelius was ready to obey the truth when he found it, whatever it might require of him. This is evident from his question when God's messenger appeared. He was badly frightened, but he stood up like the obedient soldier he was and said, what is it, Lord? Acts chapter 10, verse 4. In other words, Lord, give the command, and I will obey it. His readiness to obey the truth is also proven by his prompt obedience to the gospel when it was declared to him. Acts chapter 10, verses 43 through 48. Taken altogether, this man Cornelius was a man of singularly lofty character. He was devout toward God, righteous toward men, and generous to the poor. He was a prayerful man and an eager seeker after truth, who was ready to obey the truth when he found it, whatever it might require. And yet with all this, the inspired record tells us Cornelius was not as yet saved. He still needed salvation. The word that God spoke to him was, Send to Joppa and fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words, whereby thou shalt be saved. Acts chapter 11 verses 13 through 14. It is clear, then, that he was not yet saved. How many there are in this audience tonight who are trusting for salvation in just such things as Cornelius already had, and think they are saved because they have some or all of these things, though they certainly have them in much less measure than Cornelius had. Many men have told me they expected to be saved because they were religious or righteous in their daily life in their dealings with men or their generosity to the poor, or they prayed a good deal, 
or because they were honest seekers after the truth. Behold Cornelius. He was all these and more, and yet God declares that he was not yet saved. If any man could be saved by character, certainly Cornelius could, but he was unsaved. That fact shows the utter folly of this modern nonsensical talk about salvation by character. Cornelius still needed something that was absolutely necessary before he could be a saved man. I am glad to tell you he found it. Every man who is as sincere a seeker after truth as Cornelius was and is ready to obey it when he finds it will certainly find it. The Lord Jesus himself says, If any man will do his will, that is, God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. John chapter 7, verse 17. It is certain that any man who sincerely desires to know the truth and is ready to obey it when he finds it will find it and accept it as it is in Jesus and thereby be saved. But he is not actually saved until he does know this truth and receives it and acts upon it. These things which Cornelius had did not save him, but they prepared him to find and receive the truth as it is in Christ Jesus and thereby to be saved. How Cornelius found salvation, not only a good man, but also a saved man. Now let's look at how Cornelius found salvation and became not only a good man, but also a saved man and a child of God. Cornelius prayed for light. This appears from God saying to him, Thy prayer is heard. Send to Joppa and fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall speak unto thee words, whereby thou shalt be saved. Acts chapter 10 verse 31 and chapter 11 verses 13 through 14. Cornelius felt that he did not have the whole truth. He knew that he didn't have peace. He knew that for all his excellencies of character, he was a sinner and needed pardon. He sought from God to find out where pardon could be found. Whoever desires to know the truth and whoever desires pardon, let him seek light from God and let him ask God to point him to the one in whom pardon is to be found. That prayer will not save him, but it will lead him to the one who will save him. I could stand here by the hour and give you illustrations of men and women whom I have known from almost every rank of society, who were in sincere doubt as to whether Jesus Christ was the Son of God and whether he could and would save, but they sought light from God and got it. They were thus brought to an intelligent faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as their own personal crucified and risen Savior. They thereby found salvation. Cornelius obeyed, step by step, the light as God gave him to see it. There are some who will not take one single step until God shows them the whole way. Such people never find the way. But if we are ready to take a step at a time as God indicates it to us, God will lead us on into the perfect day. For example, I know men who will not take the steps in the truth, which they acknowledge are perfectly clear because they do not yet understand all the mysteries concerning future punishment and God's purposes concerning the heathen and predestination and other questions like that. Cornelius was not like that. Cornelius only asked to see a step at a time. As soon as he saw the next step, he took it. 
and therefore he was soon out in the clear daylight. So will it be with you if you will follow Cornelius's example. The very first step that Cornelius was told to take was a test of faith. He was told to send for an unknown Jew in the home of a tanner, and this Jew would show him the way of life. How absurd that must have looked! Weren't the Jews in subjection to the Romans? And wasn't Rome the land of culture and Judea the land of superstition? And wasn't this particular Jew an uneducated man? Should he, a cultured Roman officer, send for an ignorant Jew to teach him? But Cornelius knew God had commanded it, so he raised no objections and asked no questions, but obeyed orders and did exactly as he was told. Ah, how many of us refuse to obey God's orders because we are so filled with the conceit of our own culture and our own superior position. Therefore, we never get out of the fog and darkness into which our self-sufficiency has plunged us. We proudly refuse to obey God because we cannot understand the reasonableness of His commands. So we miss the path of unquestioning obedience to God that would lead us into the glorious light of the Son of God. Cornelius's third step toward salvation was that he heard the simple gospel of Christ crucified, Christ risen again, and Christ's provision for remission of sins to be obtained through simple faith in this crucified, risen Christ, the Lord of all. The sermon that Cornelius heard was very short, and it was the first Christian sermon he had ever heard. He may have heard before that there was such a person as Jesus, but he knew little or nothing about him. Peter simply told him a few fundamental facts about Jesus. How God preached good tidings of peace by him, how Jesus Christ was Lord of all, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter told him how he was a witness of all things which Jesus of Nazareth did, and then he told him how they slew him and hanged him on a tree. Then he told him how on the third day God raised him up, and how he was an eyewitness of his appearances in his body after his resurrection. He ate and drank with Jesus after he arose from the dead. Then Peter told Cornelius how this Jesus was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead, and how to him bear all the prophets witness, that through his name every one that believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Acts chapter 10 verses 42 through 43. That was all that Peter told him, and that was enough. Cornelius believed it and was instantly saved. All that Cornelius heard, you have heard time and again, and as far as hearing and knowing the truth are concerned, you have heard enough and already know enough to be saved. Then Cornelius took the decisive step. He believed in Jesus Christ right there and then. He was saved at once. Will you take the same decisive step tonight? The simple step of believing on Christ Jesus, of whom it is conclusively proven that he died on the cross and thus made full atonement for sin. He secured pardon for all who would believe on him, and he rose again and therefore has power to keep from the power of sin all those who put their trust in him. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. Will you take that step? As good and exemplary as Cornelius was, he was saved in the same way that the coarse, brutal, 
prayerless and godless Philippian jailer in the sixteenth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles was saved. That is, by simple faith in Jesus Christ, for the pardon of sin, and for deliverance from sin's power. When Peter spoke of the forgiveness of sins, Cornelius knew he needed it. If you have not already received Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you need to do so tonight. When Peter said, Every one that believeth on him shall receive remission of sins, Cornelius said to himself, That means me. And he believed right then and there, and received remission of sins right then and there. Anyone tonight can receive remission of sins exactly the same way that Cornelius did, and just as quickly as Cornelius did. The word preached to Cornelius says, Through his name everyone that believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Even though you are as good as Cornelius, you need pardon. Even though you are as vile as the vilest, you can have it. Everyone that believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. Let me call your attention to one more thing. The Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius right then in testimony to the fact that God had accepted him, and he began to magnify God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, not only pardon, but also the Holy Spirit's power is for everyone tonight who will believe on the Lord Jesus. There is still one more thing that Cornelius did that needs to be carefully noted. Cornelius openly confessed his acceptance of Jesus Christ and his identification with him in baptism. He was already saved. He already had God's seal of acceptance, the definite, conscious work of the Holy Spirit. But that did not make him say, There is no need that I be baptized. I have everything already. No. Rather, it made him say, I want to obey God and confess my faith in Jesus Christ in God's appointed way by baptism. The faith in Jesus Christ that Cornelius had was real, saving faith, and saving faith always leads to obedience. The Christ in whom Cornelius believed as Savior and Lord had commanded baptism, so he was baptized immediately. And if you really believe in Jesus Christ, you will desire to obey Christ in everything. If you have not been baptized already, you will desire to be baptized. And even if you have been baptized already, you will do that for which baptism is an outward sign. Make an open confession of your acceptance of Jesus Christ as your crucified, dead, buried, and risen Lord and Savior. Salvation is open to everyone tonight. It cannot be obtained by any amount of piety toward God, righteousness toward man, generosity in giving, earnestness in praying or sincerity in the search for the truth. By everyone, good and bad, moral and immoral, highly respected and utterly despised, it must be obtained in the same way, by a simple faith in Christ Jesus, who died for us on the cross of Calvary and rose again. Faith in Him as your Savior and your Lord. Who will thus put their faith in Him tonight?